You're listening to Love of the Links Golf Radio with your hosts, Brendan Elliott, Bob Baldessari, Andy Hydorn, and Chris Ray. All right, Love of the Links Golf Radio after a long summer fall hiatus in 2020. We, it was, it was a, a, the in thing to do to just kind of not do stuff. So we did that, Bobby and I, we kind of went through July and, uh, and we always had anticipations of starting back up and we're going to go full force into 2021 with two new co-hosts, Andrew Hydron, Hydorn, Woo-hoo. sorry, and Chris Ray, also AKA known as Sarah Ray. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I I know Bob and I couldn't be any more excited to have you guys uh, a part of this. It's it's a it's a fun thing that we do. Um, we're looking to get some good guests as we go through the year. Um, but you know, even if if we have an off week without a guest, there's enough good stories and good insight from the four of us here on everything that's going on in in the world of golf. And what I wanted to basically do to start things off was uh, maybe what we call reintroduce Bobby uh, and then get a little bit of insight and background on Andy and Chris. Um, so let's, let's start with you, Bobby. Just what I'm, what I'm looking for for our audience is just to get um, a little bit of what your story is. I, I hate to call it a bio, but more of like how you came up within the, the game. I know your dad was a major influence on, on you as far as your introduction to the game and then obviously you working in the game for for so many years um but let, let's start there and then we'll work our way around to andy and over to chris good well I, you know i don't want to bore everybody because we'll lose the audience so i just want to uh mention i'm running for office this year and my platform now i'm just you <laughs> you want to stay away from politics so can you, uh, mute, can you mute him brandon <laughs> I, I do have that ability <laughs> It's, uh, you know, it's been an amazing uh, trip to grow up in the game. As you said, my dad was a 53-year member of the PGA. And one of the neat things about the game of golf is uh, people are looking at it right now, <clears throat> the uh, friendships you make, the people you meet. I used to tell my assistant pros, it's a small world, but it's a wicked small golf world. It is right. wicked small. And getting to know you over the years through – the youth golf things we did. And then Andy and I go back to uh, really the late eighties in the Boston area. And uh, when he started, we were on a putting green at Weston golf club with a couple other assistant pros. And Andy was uh, a bit down cause he had just joined this one golf company and he goes, I don't know about this. And, you know, we got a few putters and some kind of things with the, the um, wooden shafts and I don't know, I, you know, maybe I should go back to being a sit or be assistant like you guys. And we're going to, Andy, stay with the company, stay with the company. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It was Callaway. So, you know, <laughs> things worked out okay. And, He's a move. Uh, yeah, and then Chris and I originally met when he was my inside rep with TaylorMade. So I just knew this email with this name or this guy inside that I never met that was uh, really good to me. And, um, and then all these years later, I get to know him with uh, Epic. And, you know, it's been an interesting ride for me going green grass and then at PGA Village and inside PGA headquarters. And, uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's not over. We're uh, with what I'm doing with Reimagine Golf. We're trying to hopefully get uh, people to open their eyes about enhancing the experience at the golf facility and uh, retention. So we'll be talking about that as well. Andy. Awesome to be with you, 
three gentlemen here and, and it is cool how you know like bobby says we we've kind of crossed paths through our careers through the awesome game of golf right we've all three of us cross or four of us i should say have crossed paths at different times and multiple times you know i was a young kid playing every sport i can imagine uh growing up you know i was, I was a huge hockey player and loved baseball and and uh you know, I was, I was a pretty decent athlete as a kid and I grabbed my first golf club at, at 12 years old and it was over. I mean, over, I, I, that was number one on my list of things I'd love to do. And, you know, I ended up slowly and surely dropping all my other sports except basketball, of course, which Chris and I <laughs> was really the glue as, as to how he and I met as, as being old basketball players together. Um, but yeah, golf's been, been a godsend for me. You know, I, I became an encyclopedia as a kid. And, and still to this day, if you ask me who won the U.S. Open at any date between 1968 and 1990, I can tell you who won and where the tournament was. And don't 1974, go. Hale Irwin. Nice. Foot. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but uh, I just became totally in love with golf and and became a decent junior golfer and played golf in college at South Florida um, and wanted to make sure that I, I knew I wasn't good enough to play professionally, but I really wanted to make sure that I stayed in the game of golf through my work. And, uh, you know, as Bob said, <laughs> I was the luckiest little snot-nosed, you know, graduate, college graduate getting a job with Callaway and um, worked there for, for 13 awesome years and the best years of, of Callaway growth wise and fun wise. And, you know, we got to know Ely and it, it was just such a great experience. Um, and then, you know, moved on through my career. Uh, I started a company called back nine, which was an apparel and accessory company. And that's how I got to know Brendan. Um, we did some, some things with Brendan's little linksters through that. So, um, and now I'm with, with a company called Iconic, which is a great new um, online coaching platform that coaches uh, work with their students on our, on our uh, app. So um, I'm really, really happy to be part of this group and uh, looking forward to our discussions. Indeed. Chris? Yeah, so similar to Andy, um, you know, I grew up playing football, baseball, basketball, all the sports. And so when I was 13 years old, my grandfather took me to a, a little nine hole goat track in Milford, Connecticut called Millstone Country Club. And I still remember my first drive on the first hole with a bunch of people watching a uh, little, little slice to the right. And from that point on, I was absolutely hooked. I mean, I got such a passion for the game. Um, and it's, it's pretty ironic that since that point, I've been working in golf for over 20 years. So after, you know, after starting that, that first round of Millstone Country Club, I used to ride my bike with my the bag on the, on the shoulder, you know, down to the course and play all day for eight bucks and, you know, do that all day during the summers when, you know, in my teens, um, got a good chance to work at a golf course, uh, private club in, in Orange, Connecticut called uh, Racebrook Country Club. And I caddied there, worked in the bag room, worked in the pro shop, cleaned clubs, picked the range, uh, you know, and then at night, when the last cart would come in at say six o'clock, man, my buddies and I, we would get the, get everything closed down, go out to the, the course and play as many holes as we could. And, you know, many nights it was pitch dark and we we're trying to find our ball. And I mean, that was just some good times there. So 
you know, had such a passion for the game. Uh, went to school uh, at Trinity College in, in Hartford, Connecticut, played hoops there, played golf there too. Um, in fact, one of my college golf teammates was Jay Monahan, who's now the PGA Tour Commissioner, so some nice ties there. Um, but uh, yeah, so I had a great, great college experience with hoops and golf together, you know, as a, as a Division three athlete. After college, um, moved to San Diego. I had a brother, has a brother that lives out there. At 23 years old, it seemed like the right thing to do to move to San Diego from Connecticut. Um, and my first job out in San Diego was with Enterprise Rent-A-Car, um, just to you know do something, meet some people. And one day I had a, a, a cheesy golf tie on and this woman came in and I rented the car to her and she said, hey, I work at TaylorMade Golf in the credit department. We're looking for a, a new credit rep. Are you interested? And so, yeah, I'm interested. So interviewed, I uh, got the job at TaylorMade man, back in 1997. And I was the uh, inside credit rep for a few years there. I always want to get into sales though. And um, Mark King, who you guys I'm sure know, um, was the, uh, the, the VP of sales at TaylorMade at the time. And Mark knew I wanted to get into sales. So he came to me one, came to me one day and said, hey, Chris, I need you to release this order from credit. It's a big order for us. You know, it's end of the quarter. I know it's on hold. But you know, I need, we need the we need the sales. I said, okay, Mark, I could do that, but you know, with one condition, get me over to the customer service side. So he said, he said, done. So you mean you mean release the order? You didn't really want to be a credit rep. That that wasn't. You know, if you can build relationships collecting money, I think it's a pretty good chance you could build relationships in sales. So I thought I might have a shot at it. Uh, and, and frankly, your story about Mark King wanting to release an order at the end of the quarter is. is Highly, not uncommon. <laughs> highly packed. <laughs> right. Not uncommon. Uh, so I got into customer service and then inside sales. And uh, one of my really good accounts when I was in inside sales is the guy on the East Coast named Bob Baldessari. Um, seemed like a good dude. Never met him before. You know, good, good rapport on the phone. Took good care of him. Um, yeah. So then, and then I got into uh, David Ablis, who was, uh, you know, president and CEO of TaylorMade, was kind of my mentor at TaylorMade. Um, so he helped me get to become an outside sales rep at TaylorMade. So in, uh, in 2000, I moved back from San Diego to, to Boston and became the, the TaylorMade rep in the Boston area in where I met Andy. And, um, you know, with Cal just despite us being rivals with Callaway TaylorMade, we became good buds. In fact, Andy, I don't know if you remember, but I actually wore that same golf tie the day we met. So that, that cheap, <laughs> that's easy golf because you had, you had something I won't say on here, but you had something to say about it. Uh, and I knew I'm like, okay, I like this guy already. All right. Um, so we became buds and played hoops there and stuff. So I was a TaylorMade rep in uh, 2000 to 2004. Um, got a chance after that to uh, move to the West Coast where my family, my wife was from at the time and uh, became a, a regional sales manager with a Top Flight and Hogan brand owned by Callaway for a, a brief stint until Callaway decided to kind of consolidate those brands. Um, but then Nike Golf was looking for a rep uh, in, in the Bay Area at that time. I jumped on board with Nike and uh, was a rep for a couple of years there in the Bay Area. Uh, then Nike moved me to Austin, Texas, where I live now. And I used, uh, used that platform to become the national account manager for Golfsmith and Academy Sports with, with Nike. Um, did a nice job with that. Five years there, I got promoted into a regional sales manager job. And I, I managed the central region with, with Nike Golf. Uh, and then in July of 2016, we were in Beaverton, Oregon, looking at the new line of 2017 drivers, Nike drivers, Nike irons, Nike golf balls, everything looked good. The color was right. The sound was right. I was like, we finally got it. This is going to be it. 
Three weeks later, we got an email from, from corporate saying, hey guys, we have a, a company-wide conference call. We need you to get it on. And we got on the call and it was announced that uh, Nike Inc. decided to pull clubs, balls, bags, hard goods, uh, and just stick to kind of an apparel-focused golf company, which made sense. Uh, it didn't to me at the time because that was my life, uh, but it made sense that you know that's what Nike does. They, they, they focus on apparel. They focus on on-the-body uh, product. And that's what they do well with. What, uh, what was the thing, the story you told me about the guy who said that, that the Nike sells more socks than all golf equipment? Yeah, on. we were at a sales meeting with Nike Golf. And, you know, you're in a room full of, of 400 people, you know, excited to be there, excited about their brand and their company, uh, you know, pumped up about the, 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 whatever the next season was. And one of the uh, ex top execs from Nike Inc. was, was there kind of giving a speech mm -hmm. to us. And he kind of flippantly said, hey, you know, the, the sock category at Nike is bigger than the Nike golf category combined. <laughs> and we were like, thanks, appreciate that. The air just kind of fell out, of, fell out of the room. I don't think that was his intent, but that was, that was that's kind of what happened. Um, so yeah, it was interesting. And then um, through one of my contacts at Nike, a guy reached out to me short after, shortly after the announcement at Nike about pulling card goods and said, hey, um, my name is Rich Stamper. I, uh, I've run, run some pretty good golf companies in the past with, with Callaway overseas. I ran Strixon for a bunch of years. I ran Sky Caddy. I got this really cool idea for a kid's golf, a junior golf club company uh, called Epic Golf, E-P-E-C Golf, and they need someone to run sales. So we met, and uh, I've always been a club guy, and you know, I really like the, the look of the clubs, the feel of the clubs. I mean, they're, they're kids' clubs. They're, they're great quality. Um, and they were fit to height, which is uh, very important for kids and, and getting kids in the right clubs, you know, throughout their, their childhood. Um, and a really cool process of when kids grow, we upgrade the clubs for the kids. So we replace shafts and, and iron weights and new grips and um, for a, kind of a fraction of the cost of, of parents having to buy new sets, um, which, you know, as we all know, we all have kids that kids grow quick. Um, and you know, for parents having to buy new set after new set after new set, there's just the, the garage where the, the kids golf clubs, you know, go to die. Right. So with us, with our upgrade system, you know, they can stay in, in properly fitted clubs. Doesn't, doesn't have to break the, break the bank with parents. And it's been a really, really fun, cool concept. Been there for almost four years. Um, it was two years ago, we made a trip to the PGA of America and, and talked about a partnership with PGA junior league. And I met this guy named Bob Baldessari at the PGA of America. I said, hey, why does your name sound familiar? And we thought about it and like, wait a second. I was your inside sales rep like 18 years ago at TaylorMade Golf. And it just shows you, you know, the, the power of golf, the, the, the camaraderie and the, the, the team of, of golf and the golf industry. And, you know, through my 20 plus years of working in the golf industry, I've known some great people. Brendan, we got to meet through your, your little linksters and our, you know, your, um, your interest in Epic Golf and what we can do together. So it's just really cool to be a part of, you know, an industry where I've had a passion for since I was 13 years old and uh, I'm still working in it today. You know, it, it's interesting when we hear all the stories about how you guys met and, and you're, you're coming through the industry. Um, I just wanted to make note, like our audience of our podcast is varied and Bob and I've talked about this you know, definitely off camera behind the scenes, who is our audience? And, it could be industry insiders, people like us, but I, I feel, at least from my standpoint, I want the general public, the people that love the game, that aren't 
within the inner workings of, of the industry to to listen and kind of hear some of these stories so they, they get some insight on what we all know, how how wonderful the game is, not just from the aspect of being a recreational golfer, but how incredibly great it is for all of us that have, that have come up from, from kids and now, uh, I won't say old people, <laughs> but seasoned people, of <laughs> just how awesome this game is. And we all understand the ups and downs our industry has had, the incredible ups and downs and swings. Um, and that's kind of where I wanted to start off with with this episode as far as what we're going to talk about. And 2020, in all of its strangeness and everything that we had to endure, surprisingly, golf was very, very uh, resilient uh, is a good word. And not just resilient, but it boomed. Um, I was on a town hall meeting last night uh, with Operation 36 with Matt Reagan and and his team. And they, the first slide that they had up was 50 million additional or 50 million uh, new rounds and or additional rounds from 19 over to, to, to 20. And when you think about that, it, maybe it's not a huge surprise to us uh, working in the industry because we know uh, based on everything that happened last year that golf is a safe option for people. Um, social distancing is built in. Uh, but I think probably we're even a little surprised that it did that well. Um, probably, you know, a lot of people, I've read some articles that said it was really the only game in town for uh, in a lot of situations. Um, and, and Bob really beats the drum of retention. So let, that's kind of where I want to start. 2020 was fantastic for recreational game. Had some challenges with the professional game did overcome it pretty well and i want to talk about that too how the how the how the tours lpga tour pga tour um found its way and was able to i mean viewership was was up big time in 2020 so um with everything that happened in 2020 and now moving into 2021 and i'm going to start with you bob this retention piece that a lot of golf professionals really don't do well uh, I'm just, I don't think we need to hold, hold back any punches on that. What do they need to know now that the table has been set for continued success as we go forward? We're going to have to do a multi-series uh, podcast and yeah. stay tuned for more. The, wow. Yeah. I, my big thing is retention. Um, you said I couldn't use the R word today politically, but the uh, retention is the key. And any business in the industry, you get loyalty, you have retention, you cultivate, you nurture, and your customer acquisition costs, um, it helps in that area versus just trying to get, get new people. I'm struck by a few things this year. Was it organically grown golf or certainly the pandemic threw people into the game? I just talked to somebody yesterday as well, a banker. He started playing more golf this year than, and he had been away from the game about 10, 12 years. So if there's no pandemic, are all these people coming into the game? Maybe, maybe not. Is this, what's that uh, quote? Uh, if you don't learn from the past, you're going to repeat it. But we're going to go back to the golf industry of the 80s into the 90s. And everybody just opened their doors. People came in, they threw you money. And, oh, this is great. I don't have to do anything almost. So I, I don't really know that it was very organic. Um, thank God we, we had a very good year. 
but I'm not trying to be the Debbie, Debbie Downer. Everybody knows I am a, a very positive person, but it, it's, I usually get crickets when I'll ask a golf course operator, what's your retention strategies? And they have none. And if it centers around the golf rate, then I know they're really in trouble because they're not going to survive. So the retention is, uh, is deep and wide. You can't throw a couple of spring clinics out there. You can't do a couple of one-off here and there. You don't get good at anything just doing it occasionally. A retention strategy is 12 months and it's deep and it's bold and it's strong. And if you don't have that, then you're just going to, it's just not going to work out for these operators. They're going to, there'll be more attrition, so on and so forth. So I think a lot of golfers get used to tee times being spread out, individual golf cars. Oh my God, we played under four hours. They're going to get used to that. That's what I'm hearing in in my travels. Like, hey, this year was great for the golfer. So why are you putting me in a cart again? Or why, why are the tee times now back to eight minutes? So it's going to be interesting there. You know, it's funny. We, we never, when I say we, I'm talking here in Texas. We never did the, the you know, increased tee time gap, right? We never did that. Um, and, and it's funny because there was a lot of things that, that came out, you know, and everything's really centered upon the governors and the counties and all that stuff. But there's a lot of, of rules and regulations and things that, that come out that make zero sense. And, and the, the tea time thing was one of those that, that just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, but you're right, Bob. I, I think that there is going to be, you know, a, a slow kind of migration back towards the way things were. And does that mean that the golf world and the golf business shrinks back to where it was before this started? yeah that's a that's a that's the big question mark of can we take this momentum and go with it and i i kind of i kind of agree with bob i just i I don't think there's enough progressive golf professionals out there to uh continue the success that we've had however it happened however this all transpired it that's irregardless of that I just don't see the strategies in place at the majority of clubs to, to see this through and continue and continue with the success. Now, personally, I, I stumbled upon a situation at a club close to where I live here in central Florida, at Mount, uh, Mount Dora golf club. It's a little club that started in the forties from some veterans that wanted a place, uh, to play golf and and the city of Mount Dora gave them the land. It's a, it's a, I think a a hundred year lease and they built the golf course on their own dime. And that's the roots of the course. So it's, it's not a flashy golf course, but it's one that you, all of us here have played that those lower end type facilities that are very, have a lot of loyalists and and people that back it up. So I was introduced to a pro from St. Louis, uh, a retired PGA pro, who retired down here in Mount Dora that kind of took over the reins at this course. Uh, and it, it was insane. I've never had this experience in all my years in the game. He was introduced to me. I stopped by, I talked to him a little bit about what, what we do with little Linksters. He did some research and now three weeks later, we're entering into an agreement where I have, I don't want to say the run of the place, but all the programming that we do, fully embraced by the club, the city. He brought them, he introduced me to the mayor. Um, we're putting in an indoor facility for uh, for our sky track and to do some indoor training. 
and it's fully embraced by members, their board, this gentleman, this, the city who owns the land. That's the type of things that need to happen for golf to continue to be successful going forward. You need it. all interested parties, even non-golfers within that have some stake in it to understand the importance of what, what I do with the junior golf, but not just that, just understanding where golf sits within the community, whether you play golf or not, and why it's important for economic reasons, for a lot of different reasons, health reasons, people that do play the game that get out there. Um, and, and sadly, I don't see being, I worked at a city course before and know, knew a lot of the struggles that we went through is, is commissions come in and out and people that understand the game or love the game or don't love the game, the politicalness of all of it. I just think it's important to understand the place that golf has in society overall. I think, uh, Brendan, a really good silver lining to all the things that happened last year um, was the, the resurgence and the, an increase in kids coming out to the golf course. And mm -hmm. you, I'm sure you've seen that too. Yeah. You know, working in the, in the kids golf industry, man, I was actually meeting, my boss and I were meeting with, uh, with Matt Reagan and, and Ryan Daly at Operation 36 March 11th last year. And then March 12th, the world start, basically started to end, right? With all the things canceling and tournaments canceling and sports and the NCAA can't, all the things. Um, so, you know, I flew back and I'm like, oh man, what do we do now? You know, what, what's our company gonna look like? What's golf gonna look like? We, you know, we, we pull the reins back in and we, you know, we had some partnerships around the table that we decided to not go through because we didn't know what was gonna happen in, in, in 2020. And for that next month or so, that was kind of the, it was quiet. We didn't get many orders in. Um, and then all of a sudden about end of April, we started seeing, you know, a few orders coming in, then more, then more, then more, uh, then more pre, uh, kids camps coming back on board um, clinics. You know, I'm, I'm good buddies with Mark Haddad, who runs the uh, PGA junior camps. And, um, you know, he is in the same situation where, Pros didn't know what to do when everything started happening, but then all of a sudden, you know, he saw that parents were were getting their kids on the on the course because you know that, that was the only kind of safe sport there was. I mean, uh, amongst the pandemic, so you saw a huge increase in, in kids golf and kids getting out to the, the course and, and and starting the game, playing the game, playing the game more. Um, you know, again, more clinics, more more programs, increase in junior league, all the things. So you know, we had our since that that early May, we had a really nice year with, with new, new orders and new sets getting out there and more upgrades for kids. Um, so, you know, it was a, a nice, nice surprise to see that increase in, in kids golf. And uh, obviously the hope is that that continues you know, in, in 2021 and beyond. And it's funny, you know, in 2020 or in 2000, you had the, the tiger effect, right? Where you had yep. more kids coming to the game, more people coming to the game. And, you know, the, ironically in 2020, you had the COVID effect. Mm -hmm. on golf where you know, there's so many more people coming to the game, more kids coming to the game. So obviously the hope is that sticks and uh, the kids that come into the game now last year loved it and continue to play it. So I have a question for you guys outside of the kids who came to the game, because I think there are a lot of kids that came to the game. Was the increase in activity from new people or was it that all of a sudden regular people all of a sudden had a ton of time on their hands? And, and we're really making use of, of golf as the one activity that they could, could actually do. So if, if that's the case, then that's going to be hard to sustain, right? 
Yeah. I, I think it was a combination of both. I, I think, yeah, obviously you had golfers that, you know, would play once every few weeks that were playing once a week. <clears throat> so you had more people on the, on the course, but then you had a lot of, uh, of adults um, out there that were bored. We're, we're sick of just being in their house, watching ESPN or, or whatever. Um, and just decided, Hey, let me go give this golf thing a try and see if I see if I'm any good at it. So I think there was a combination of both. And obviously the, the new golfers are the ones that for our industry that we need to keep, keep on the course going forward. Yeah. It was sort of to my comment earlier, was this organically grown? If there's no pandemic, are we having the same 15 minute conversation we just had yeah. about, wow, things are looking good in golf and rounds are up and equipment sales are up and things like that. So it's going to be interesting. Um, I know when this thing happened, it's a good lesson for everybody, really, as far as uh, the, and you touched on it, Chris and, and Brendan, the power of the game and the power of, you know, Tip O'Neill, the former Speaker of the House, sorry, political thing here, Brendan, uh, he said all politics is local. I've said for decades, uh, all player development is local, all growth is local, all growth of the game, growing the game is local. There's no that goes out from a national body that magically turns everything all rosy you know it's a cookie cutter thing that doesn't adapt to all of our clubs so you got to modify it and a lot of people go it doesn't work they throw it out and the hopefully some of the good things out of this would be uh, even politically that because golf is such a healthy activity and so outside and so on and so forth when this thing happened i've always stayed very very active politically that with building relationships with local state regional politicians, government officials. I've always done that. And so when this happened, I was taking NGF, I was taking PGA, USA, anything I could find. And I was sending it to my local politicians in, in Port St. Lucie, St. Lucie County, my Florida state rep, my US rep. And I was in touch with all these and to say, listen, please don't shut us, shut us down for golf, please. I mean, whatever regulations, whatever things we have to do to stay healthy, we'll do that. But please just don't shut us down because this is one of the few things that people can do. And, and I was told I had an effect. It, it was, it was, it was helpful. And so I've always said, you can't grow your golf business sitting behind a desk. You can't grow your golf business inside your golf shop. You can't, you might monitor it and you do budgets, but you grow it outside the shop. You grow it outside your facility. So hopefully some of these things can happen this year that the, there's not, nothing like going through it. I, I could do these business seminars and talk to PJ pros and course operators and say, here's some advice to grow your business. Yeah, you know, things are pretty good, or I don't know if I want to do that, but hopefully this year opens some eyes that, that it can improve things going forward. But I'm telling you right now, we're going to sit here in a year or two and go, what the heck happened if facilities don't do more for retention? Yeah. It's, it's going to be like Chris said, it's going to, it's history. Yeah. Bob, I have a quick question for you. Um, so in, in your work last year with facilities, you know, and, and the increase in junior golf, did you see a lot of facilities kind of turning some attention, more attention to junior golf and to the programs that they could offer for their, their junior golf members? Uh, yes and no. Um, definitely tech for sure. We all saw that. I mean, it's across the country. Um, a little delayed reaction. I think parents were, they just wanted to see that you were paying attention to the health and safety of their kids and then they were getting comfortable. And I mean, you saw it in, in your uh, your club sales there. So I think, yeah. And then I, for Andy with the technology that Iconic does, I think that, I mean, that's cool for kids and that's a, a good engagement activity as well. Um, 
some, you know, and the reality is some, some clubs were short on staff, so you can only do so many things, but um, I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm hopeful and bullish that things on the, on the youth golf side can keep, continue to grow. You know, you know it's, one of my hopes is beyond golf, uh, some of the th lessons we've learned the last 12, 13 months is uh, a lot of companies, my sister works for Verizon, and a lot of companies are kind of seeing that they had to do things a certain way, people working from home, but going forward, post-pandemic, this still may be a smart way of doing business. I mean, from, from the standpoint of cost of doing business, the, the health, mental health, the, the overworking of, of employees, it's, it's just, it just seems like doing things a different way that's more conducive to healthy individuals overall might be a smart thing. And then like with what Andy does with Iconic Golf, would let's just blow that up a little bit bigger and, and take, take the golf part out of it. But people communicating like we are right now, not having to get in their cars and go to a formal face-to-face -face meeting. I mean, if, if we do this right and we learn from some of the things that we had to do, now there is, are some missteps. The, the education system trying to handle all this, it's not good. My, my son, we've kept my son home. Uh, he has ADHD and issue, issues with paying attention and just a lot of the educational things that they tried to roll out. And I don't want to get into the politics of it. I feel very strongly certain things about that. But there were some lessons we learned on the negative, too, on how we do things. But um, this may be the way things go, not fully, uh, but just a different way. Uh, people's eyes were opened, I think, through all of this. Um, and that, going back to golf, could translate to continuation of what we see, where people that used to be golf nuts and played all the time that they could and then got wrapped into, into business and and that taking them away from the golf course, they may have time now if it's a work from home situation, or they can take their work home from the office and maybe have a little bit more time to enjoy around a golf. You know, it, it's funny that, that I never really looked at it this way, but through this conversation, we are all player development mm -hmm. kind of people, right? All of us are. I mean, Chris, you are at the equipment level, the junior level. Brendan, you are at the instruction level. Bob, you're at the club level and I'm at the technology level, right? And we're all, that, that is all of our goals is player development because your RE ending with N word doesn't happen unless people start to feel more comfortable and, and they actually develop as players in the game. Because if not, they drop off and they lose and they become less active and all that stuff. So there are opportunities and I hope our industry um, learns from this, this, you know, time that we're all, you know, going through right now that, that engagement, we use that word all the time, mm -hmm. engagement and development are, are the two things that, that absolutely have to happen. And, you know, again, it's kind of funny. We're all in that game of development. Yeah. And Andy, yeah. For, for me, um, you know, the reason why I got into Epic is because I had, you know, such a passion for golf and, you know, for caddying and for their kids knowing the game and learning the game at a young age and, and staying in the game. And, you know, when, when you see for the kids side of things, great quality golf clubs that fit them 
and that fit their height, that fit their strength, that, you know, when you take it to the golf course for the first time and they hit the club and they, their reaction to how good the ball, you know, flew and, and sound, the, the, the club sound. And, you know, you see them get hooked. Like I got hooked, like you guys got hooked. Um, it's pretty cool. I mean, obviously, yeah, we're in the business to sell clubs and to make money and all that stuff. But for me, it's all about like trying to grow the game and trying to get kid, more kids into the game and enjoy the game. Because if they're using the right clubs that fit them and have a good coach that can help them like Brendan, um, you know, they're going to stay in it longer and you're going to grow the game organically that way. So it's, you're completely right about that from this side. So for a, a long, uh, I'll throw, if Kate, we have a course operators or PGA Pro, LPGA Pros talking. I know sometimes, cause I lived it where you say, Hey, I'm going to do some player development uh, to my owner. Andy's my owner. Hey Andy, you know, uh, maybe some player development this year and this and that, that the, the, the optics of that usually sounds like, what are you giving away? Hey, Bob, what are you giving away? And so 20 years ago, because I lived it at my club in Ocean City, I said, you know, I'm going to start doing some business development programming here. That is the same thing. So the owners, <laughs> business people, the owners here, business development, and now you get their attention. Yeah. But if you say player development, doesn't not sure what that means or, oh, God, what are you, you free clinics again? Yeah. And this thing about... Oh, I've got a, and, and I say youth golf because when I was the PGA, I was trying to get the industry to say youth golf as a global term versus junior golf. Just I can explain that at another day. But the, you know, sometimes you, oh, you, Andy, what are you going to be babysitting out there? Because you, you know, from there's a lot of misconceptions out there. So um, the economic impact that a youth golf program can make is so substantial. And if you throw in the family aspect, that can make or break a club's financial future. It doesn't sound like much, but yeah, if you're a PGA, LPGA course operator out there and you've, you've got to talk to a board or something or a course owner, I highly recommend start the conversation. We've got some business development ideas to do this year, and we're going to implement this. And uh, retention strategy is a key par part, and then it's where you get their attention. I, I love what, what Op36 does, where they've got on the back end, and it's it's all plugged into you as a coach, just inputting the scores in your nine hole development league with the kids. But on the back end, it's putting out all this retention stuff that you can present, you know, the, the, the income that you brought in for the club beyond what the program brings in uh, membership retention and all the stuff that's built in. And you can just print it out and hand this to, the powers that be at the club and say, this is what this one program does. And if, then if you're a, a junior golf program that does more beyond operation 36, you, you have an even stronger story to tell them. I, I just, I don't think enough instructors understand the importance of what they do. So if they don't, then obviously the club will never know the importance of what they do. So you have to be able to tell your story from the financial piece, because they're all business minded. You're, whether it's your board or your, or your owners, you're doing good for the club. But if you're not tracking that stuff and, and definitely if you're not presenting that stuff to, to the board, to ownership, then you, you're never going to have a compelling story to, to tell them. So that's, and it's easy to do. I mean, whether they can do it in their point of sale system or, like the club I just talked to you about, Mount Dora Golf Club, they're going to have a special 
um, discount they're going to give anybody that's a little Linkster's participant or family that every time they ring something up, whether it's a Coke or a meal or a, a cart or going out on the golf course. And we're going to have this all tracked for the year and we're going to be able to tell that story. Clubs need to do that. Instructors need to push for that too. I've got a question for Andy and Chris and just popped in on my head. Well, for many, 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 many years, I've thought not the silver bullet, but one of the key aspects that has not helped, I'll put it this way, has not helped the golf industry is a loss of entrepreneurship at the golf club level. The golf the PGA pro, whoever owning the shop and owning certain concessions that, that my dad did, my dad's generation did, they were vested. They didn't just show up and get a paycheck and Hey, I've worked wicked hard today. And so you guys have both been on the sales side. And if you walked into your jobs and, and each company said, here's a big check or here's something comfortable, go work, work it hard today. You look at that different as if typically sales, you know, some are base and you get commissions and so I just, it's, I just thought for many years, magically tomorrow morning, everybody at every golf facility had something where they were vested in there entrepreneurially and how that would change the, the landscape. Yeah, I mean, got it, got Andy. No, I was just going to say that, that I think the answer to your question is, is why there are no such things really as salary only sales jobs, right? Right. Um, because everybody's got some sort of, of combination of base and, and incentive. Um, and, and I think it's a great, it's a great way to go about anything. If, if you really want things to be moving forward and getting better, people should be compensated with incentives. Yeah. I, I run a sales force of independent reps and they get paid strictly on commission. Now, the more they sell, the more, the more they make. And, you know, there's, there's some pretty good motivation there. And as a sales rep for TaylorMade and for Nike, you know, walking into, you know, five, six, seven golf shops a day, I knew the ones that um, the pro owned the shop. And I knew the ones that the pro didn't own the shop. And it was a completely different conversation and completely different motivation. I had, you know, hundred percent of the time, I had more success with the pros that own their own shop that, that really cared about the, the shop sales, what they offered in the golf shop, what they offered to their members. Um, so yeah, there's, there's something to be said for, for trying to get that back. Cause unfortunately there's a lot of uh, golf shops that, that run, you know, with, with the club and not with the, the pro anymore in terms of ownership. So I'd love to get that back in some way, shape or form. It's funny. You know, you talk about the eras, right. And Bob, you were talking about your dad's era, everybody owned the shop. Like when, when Chris and I were out on the road selling golf clubs, it was starting to, to you know, balance out right. a little bit. There were some haves and some, you know, who didn't. And I 100% agree with Chris is I was way more interested in talking to the guys who, who had a vested interest in their own business other than just punching the clock, right? And they were way more interested in talking to you too. Yeah. There's no question yeah. about it. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, if, if that's not a lesson learned and, and I'm not sure it has been learned because there there's that trend is still going in the wrong direction. You know, I, 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 I got a quick story. Chris may not remember. Um, although I, you, I don't know if you were my guy then Chris, but there was a prominent golf company that really, really, really messed up late year. And the, you know, I, I thought I had it rectified and I didn't. And we got to the next spring and they were 
pressing me to get paid. And I said, well, you messed it up and, and I can give you the details. And I've shared this story in open forums before, but basically uh, I decided not to do any more business with that one company anymore. And I didn't. And everybody said, you are stupid, Bob. That's the hottest company in golf. I'll let your imagination go somewhere. And I said, well, I'm just going to, I'm a tailor-made guy and, and I'll just consolidate my sales or my buying. And I ended up getting better deals, which helped. And you had a better uh, inside sales rep too. So he, he was wicked good. So uh, I was struck by something, you know, my dad always told me this and, and it's true and nobody believes it. It's absolutely amazing. The, the people came into my shop and when they said, hey, I'm interested in XYZ, this other company, I said, yeah, that's a great product, but I have this. I'm your PGA pro. I know your game. I have this. And let's give it a try. Oh, okay. I, I'm telling you, I did not lose a sale. Chris, may, when I left my club in Ocean City, the TaylorMade guys were pretty, they were, had some tears because I was doing big, big, big deal, big money. That's big why I lost them at that point. I was like, Bob's gone. I got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I'm just struck by this. You know, if I don't own the shop and all that, I don't know that I really care. And I just sort of kind of go through some of the motions. And I've had this conversation with the Peter Hills, with the Jim Hinckley's, with the big guys at the management companies. I said, it, you can pay me. And I punched the clock, like you said, Andy. And I think I work hard every day and I don't miss a day. But have I advanced the business? Am I really vested in things? And I lived it just by chance with my first head pro job. And I'm not sitting here talking to you guys if that scenario didn't play, play out for me. Yeah. You know, what's interesting too, is we talk about this a lot at Iconic is, you know, we, the PGA of America, the PGA professional, you know, when, when a member joins a club, the first thing they want to do is they want to meet the pro, right? right. They don't, they don't want to meet the GM. They don't want to meet the cook. You know, they, they, they don't want to meet the superintendent. They want to meet the pro. And, and because of that, because of that, you know, elevated status, you do have the ability to, to you know, kind of move them in certain directions and, and do the things that you want to do because you're the golf expert. And this is, after all, it's golf, right? So you're the expert and, and you still have that influence. And, and it's silly for people who don't understand that. One of the best guys I've saw, I've seen in my years um, with that influence on their members. And do you remember David DeRico on Western Mass? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. At Crestview Country Club, I believe. Yep. So David, yep. and, you know, big tailor-made guy when I was the rep, you know, on, on staff, elite staff guy. But man, whatever he said and the way he said it was genuine, and his members believed, and you know, they they followed his direction in terms of instruction. They followed his direction in terms of um, of club sales, of recommendations. You know, and I'd be like, you know, David, you did this much in, in tailor-made sales last year. How are you going to top that? And he said, just watch because he, he, he has that influence. And, you know, and that's the big reason why Epic, we are not a direct sales company. We are, you know, we have, we're in over 1400 pro shops because we know the power of the golf pro and the assistant golf pro and the guys in the shop, the, the, the people in the shop, men and women in the shop, and that, you know, where golf is played, you know, golfers want to get that recommendation, that, that advice from, the professionals that are there and they, they follow that. So, uh, you know, there's something to be said for the, the power of the golf pro, you know, the, the golf pro having uh, a ton of investment and in, in, in incentive to, to do well in their shop. And if we can bring that back more, I think we'd be all better off and the industry would be better off as well. 
And you, you can appreciate this in Crispy and in Boston area. My dad's shop was at North Reading, Mass. And when the uh, Nevada Bobs started to come up and, you know, he'd see some members with the club or the ball or things like that. And then I was in the shop one day and one of the members came in and said, hey, Bob, you're friends with Don Callahan at the country club, right? And my dad said, yeah, good friends. And he, you think you can get us on? My dad goes, well, gee was, uh, I don't know, you bought your clubs from the guy at Nevada Bob's. Maybe he can get you on. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That's classic right there. You know, the, the, you know, then it was like, whoa, you know, him just showing more value, I suppose. And I remember going, oh, my God. That just <laughs> Did that just happen? <laughs> yeah. All right. Ten minutes. Rapid fire. Flipping, flipping the script to the other side of the industry, which is the the tour, the the, the stuff that that uh, golf fans uh, kind of resonate with. Maybe not so much the stories we're sharing now, but it's good insight for I think golfers. But I'm gonna throw out a topic, quick answers from each of you. We'll, we'll start with Bob, go down to Andy, and then to Chris. Uh, Tiger Woods in 2021, does he get past? Uh, the 82 mark. Does he get at least one win and get to 83 this year? Yes. No. I got to say yes. I'm a Nike guy. It's still through and through. I got to say yes. He's my guy. I say yes as well. Does he contend at any of the majors in 2021? Does who? Does Tiger contend at any of the majors in 2021? Uh, I'll say contend in one. Andy. I'll say, yes, he will contend. I'm not sure how many, but. I think he'll uh, get really close to the PGA. Ooh, the PGA. Okay. This, should be, this should be like the, the NFL. We should keep track of our predictions. We totally should. Yeah. See how this Here's comes out. Let's yeah. do that because I, I, this is going to be a constant theme we go back to each week. Yep. Uh, when will spectators be allowed to, in, in bigger numbers, be allowed to go back to PGA Tour events? Hmm. Uh, probably not till summertime. I'm guessing. Yeah, I was I was gonna say June. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say U.S. Open. Okay. Yes. Masters, spectators or not? Obviously, we kind of answered that. Uh, Dustin Johnson. He he played really solid this this year. He's got a kind of has his his hold on on his mark in in or in the in the game right now. What kind of year is Dustin going to have? I'm, I'm, I'm just predicting this. <laughs> <laughs> what, putt putt? What's he going to win? Yeah. <laughs> event. It's an event. Can, yeah. <laughs> uh, DJ, I think DJ has a, a really solid year. I think, uh, you know, get, I don't know, as he finished out the year, I was watching some of the tournament last night and, I don't know, maybe just he's in that sweet spot in his career right now. I mean, I, I think he's the best player in the world. You know, there, there, there are others who, who challenge him from time to time and even overtake him. But to me, consistently over the last three or four years, he's the best player in the world. He's, he's incredible. Yeah, he's got tons of talent, obviously. And he just doesn't seem like he cares in terms of like hits a bad shot, whatever. Go to, go to the next shot, and that that bodes well for for the golf psyche. So I think he'll have a very good year again this year and, and continue that for a while. And a little, he, little sidebar with him: How cool is it to see some emotion come out of him after? Oh his yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. And I was just going to say, I think he cares a lot, right? He yeah. just, he yeah. just, he hides he's, the, well. <laughs> he's the antithesis of Jordan Spieth, who's got, you know, Jordan's got, got a, a nervous commentary following every shot, or Dustin has nothing, right? And that's probably why Dustin is as successful as he is as a player. Yeah, we, we need more guys in the game and on tour that have emotion, that show emotion, that that the you know that the viewer can relate to. It's not just a golf robot that hits a shot, walks, hits a shot. There's that emotion brings people into the game and it brings viewers into the game. Andy, you made me skip ahead three spots. Sorry, uh, Jordan Spieth. What what happens with Jordan this year? Go ahead, Bob. Uh, pardon me. I hopeful is he gets back on track. Probably more status quo. Yeah. I love Jordan. Yep. I, I think he's a great interview. He's a, he's an honest, good person, but he's in swing prison as Stephen Yellen says. Uh, I, I think he's going to, I think he's going to figure it out. I think he's going to have a really good back half of the year this year. Yeah. And I'm very hopeful, you know, away from the golf course, I have kind of relationship with him and his, his foundation and he is the most genuine person out there on tour. It's just a shame to see what, what he's going through. Uh, and, and I like that, that analogy of in swing jail right now, he's, he's just got to free it up. He, he said something in an interview, I think it was earlier part of the year uh, where he, he admittedly said, if I could be more like I was when I was a kid and be free, mm -hmm. I, I would be much better off. So he knows, he knows what he needs to do. We'd all be better off like that. Did anything? Yeah, yeah just, right. just be like a kid and go. Right. All right. Next one, and I've become kind of transfixed on this whole thing with with Bryson and what him and Chris Cuomo and and now a, a YouTuber I've been watching, Kyle Berkshire, who's the long drive guy. This this need for speed. I I wasn't for it, and now I'm kind of bought in. I watch all their YouTube stuff. Uh, what, what's your take on what Bryson's doing, and then? And Kyle too, he's looking to try to maybe make a go at it as a as a tour player. I just advancing the game, advancing the mindsets, uh, expanding mindsets like any generation does. When I'm in my golf shop in the uh, well, late late '80s, and um, Ashworth comes out with soft collar, and everybody said, "Well, that's stupid. Like nobody's gonna like." There's this soft spikes when that came out and metal spikes went away. I mean, there's, there's almost comical things that help the industry move forward and maybe Bryson will be one in the extreme, but if he gets more people um, in a good way, thinking about just how do I get better? How do I, how do I improve? I mean, if distance is part of it, I, I think everybody's been transfixed on the ball and the equipment for years. I really, really thought like Gary player said years ago, he, he I remember him saying it when I was at river run, so there's going to be a basketball player coming along like six, 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 seven, that, that it's just going to be the most fantastic golf and more athletes like that will come in and the shots they can pull off and the distance will be remarkable. Yeah. I, I kind of look at it as, as it's an approach. It's one way to attack the game. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's certainly not everything. Golf is such a complex you know, sport to perform at high levels. So I think it's awesome. It's, it's great for <coughs> social media. I saw that thing that, that they did at Bryson's house with, yeah. with that YouTuber guy and Kyle and Bryson. And I mean, that stuff is, is awesome for the game. And, and obviously 
Bryson's ascension as a player is only partly due to his fixation on distance. I mean, the guy is, he had the best putting stats Mm -hmm. on the PGA tour last year. So I think it's great for the game, but it's only, it's, it's one approach. Yeah. When you look at, look at MLB, major league baseball in the late nineties, right. When, when it was most popular was when Sosa and McGuire were going after the home run, you know, the, the public loved the, the home ball, the long ball. And it's same. It's true for golf too. You know, the, the, the long distance guys get a lot of attention. It's, it's cool to hit a drive, you know, 350 yards. Um, to me, I think it will bring, it keeps bringing more people, more viewers into the game, seeing those guys just bomb it. Uh, I just hope that, you know, golf courses and, and tournaments don't, you know, bring the rough way up and, and discourage shots like that. And, and you know, the, the equipment and rules don't get, you know, tougher on balls and clubs. I mean, golf's tough, golf's hard. And, and the more we can get people watching and playing and, and excitement with, with long drives and, and good stories like Bryson, I think the better off we're all going to be. All right. Two more. Uh, JT, what kind of year is he going to have? Oh, I think he gets a major once might win this weekend. Um, you know, really, really strong. I, I first met him when I was 12 years old at, at uh, Harmony Landing. We had a PGA meeting there and he's wearing a Red Sox hat and his dad, Mike said, uh, Hey, Bob, I got a fellow Red Sox fan. And um, it's been amazing to see his growth. And um, he's, I think he has a big year. Yeah. I mean, I, I love Justin, you know, his, I love his personality, I should say, because I, I don't know him personally, but mm-hmm. You know, he seems to be really a grounded um, person and he's an unbelievable player. And, you know, the Golf Channel this past week was was doing nothing but replaying events from last year. Seemed like every damn tournament, Justin Thomas was in in the last group in the mix. And I mean, he's he's incredible. Yeah. Every week it's tough to bet against him. His swing is so solid. His mind is so solid that uh, you know he's going to be up there a lot of tournaments for many years to come he's he's one you can bet on i lied i got two more uh mike juan and the lpga tour i think i think he's a fantastic commissioner um i think that they've done a lot of good things on the lpga tour uh thoughts on them going into the new year yeah i'm glad you wrote that down and hopefully we can do a deeper diver on the next show or two brendan um all things considered, all optics, all everything, 360. I think he's the best commissioner maybe ever or I, for, for, for the women's game and, and all that they have to do and, and through and how you know they're relegated down. I just think the guy's done an unbelievable job. It's going to be some big shoes to fill. Yeah, I don't, I don't know much about Mike Wan, and, and I do know the people that I know in the industry all have a ton of respect for him and, and have similar opinion to what Bob had. And, you know, he's not dealt an easy hand. He was not dealt an easy hand, you know, with, with all the foreign players who are dominating the, the USLPGA tour, you know, that's a, that's a difficult situation. And, and I, I love the LPGA tour. I love watching those girls. I think if, if more people got to see them in person, mm-hmm they would be way more interested in what's going on there. It was uh, early 2000s. I was a tailor-made rep at a sales meeting in La Costa in Carlsbad. We were sitting in the audience and they had a, uh, the new guy, new, the new marketing guy for tailor-made was coming on stage. 
And this guy walks, walks on stage named Mike Wan and, you know, good looking guy, you know, put together, um, man, the confidence he had on stage and the, and the presentation he did just, just blew the roof off of the building. And I was like, I don't know who that guy is, but I need to meet him. I, I shook his hand right after I wanted to meet him. I actually want to get into marketing after that presentation, after being in sales for a bunch of years. I mean, that's the power that he has in terms of like his words, his, his message, his leadership. So, you know, anything he does, I have confidence and he'll, he'll do it well and continue to do it well. And last but not least, and not for reasons that a lot of people would think, Charlie Woods, I don't like all the golf media people pushing this kid. I love, love how Tiger's handling everything with his kid. Um, I'm just as guilty. I posted this on Facebook as any other golf junior golf coach out there. I recorded his swing, screenshotted it on my phone and, and broke everything down. Uh, he, he's a good player for his age, but all of this, is he the next incarnation of his father? Enough of that stuff. Just let the kid play golf and kudos to Tiger for, for handling everything the way that he has so far. Yeah. Let him be a kid. Let him go play golf. Let him have fun and let him do whatever and this is going to sound a little strange. I, I there's there's tiny 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 bit. I I've been on both sides. My dad being a PJ pro, me being at a private club, all the members going to me like, "Oh, you're going to be on tour and this and that." And I was okay. And now my son getting into the game, and so I get it that the son, the dad, I've I've lived that again in this teeny teeny context, and just let him. Oh my goodness, yeah, I agree, Brennan. Just let him play, have fun. He might end up being an insurance salesman one day. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. And however, however, Tiger is handling that, you know, from the outside in, it seems to be like working. Right. And, and I can only say that, that based on what I saw, Charlie's smiling a lot out there. Right. I mean, he's having a good time. He's writing Justin, Justin Thomas notes. And I mean, he's literally, having a great time and, it, and if he can continue to do that i think that's a recipe for success who knows how good he'll be in yeah. the end right. it doesn't even matter right yeah i loved his uh, he, he seemed like he's already mentally tough i mean just watching him play i mean to, to, to get on the national stage with all the cameras and, and the media and to, to make the swings that he did the kid's fearless which is really cool to see but if there's anyone in this world that can teach him how to you know to, to be successful in a microscope, it's Tiger. And, you know, it seems like they have a great relationship. He listens to his dad. So I think he'll be just fine. All right. Good first show, gentlemen. I'm look, really looking forward to future shows. Um, I'm going to clean up some of our social media that's been stagnant for a while and, and get, get your beautiful faces, Andy and Chris, up on there. Um, <laughs> so you can, for viewers that will watch this replay, you can find us on uh instagram facebook uh don't have a twitter but i think there's been some space cleared on twitter to to get back on there recently um <laughs> so, hey, hey 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 don't be breaking the rules sorry um and definitely the replays of the audio version which will be on all the places that people go and listen to their podcasts uh and then on youtube we'll have the video portion of this gentlemen thank you and we will talk thank you Brennan. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later. Suck it up, baby.
Thanks for listening to Love of the Links Golf Radio. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Our website is littlelinksers.com backslash love. You can email us at loveofthelinks at gmail.com.